I became very adept at developing rapports with people super quick, which translates phenomenally well into portrait photography, which is what I focus on now. Welcome to the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast with leading DIY lifestyle blogger, Anna Fulmer, where women are inspired with authentic stories and practical strategies to reclaim their hearts and homes by empowering transformation, one imperfect day at a time. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. I am your host, Anna Fulmer. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to John Malora. John is a multi-award winning portrait photographer recognized among celebrities and Fortune 500 companies alike for photographing their stories in a creative and impactful way. John combines his personal story of grief, anxiety, and loss with his unique professional experiences that include 15 years with NASA and studying under celebrity portrait photographer and global humanitarian Jeremy Cohort to empower men and women with confidence and self-worth through creative portraits. Welcome master photographer and storyteller, John Malora. John, right. welcome to the Imperfectly Empowered podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Anna. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have such an eclectic story. It was so fun reading about you and your story. One of the things that made me laugh is at one point in your bio, you talk about how you spent four years at Penn State feeling like the dumbest person in the room. Yes. <laughs> so you were an engineer. So we're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I'm very familiar with Penn State. Right. Yeah. Also, my husband was in industrial engineering. So yeah. I've heard the sentiment more than once. So I don't think you were alone there. <laughs> I think pretty much everyone felt like they were the dumbest people in the room, except for that one person. Exactly. <laughs> smarter than everyone. That's exactly. I think that goes for just about any area. Tell me a little bit though, because again, we're going to dive into more of your, where you're at currently, mm -hmm. but I love talking about the backstory and the journey that got people to where they are today. So you started years and years ago in engineering, you were at Penn state. Tell me a little bit about kind of the former years and sort of what brought you to where you are today. Tell me a little bit about those, those years. Yeah. I truthfully, I don't know how I ended up in engineering. I, one of those things where I went to a very conservative Catholic high school, and I'm pretty sure I went and talked to my guidance counselor and they looked at my math and science scores and said, oh, you're really good at that. Do you like figuring things out? And I probably said, uh, yeah, sure. And they probably right. just said, you should go into engineering. I went, all right, cool. Because <laughs> yeah. I really don't know how I ended up there. And it was a good fit. I mean, I do have a science-y and math brain. So yeah, so I went to school for engineering, considered changing majors numerous times. I mean, who can blame you? Yeah. yeah <laughs> who like doesn't in engineering? <laughs> yeah, I was like drinking water from a fire hose. <laughs> but yeah, I did internships and co-ops. I worked for Campbell Soup, did an eight-month co-op with them in Camden, New Jersey, which the internship was an experience and working in Camden, New Jersey in the late 90s was also mm. an experience. Mm. And I had a couple other internships. And then before my, I think right before my junior or right before my senior year, I was planning to work for Disney to be one of hmm. the Imagineers. And it was down to me and one other person and they got the internship and I did not. And I did not have a plan B, which is a recurring theme in my life. And I remember getting the call and it was back in the late nineties. So I was just sitting, put the phone back on the wall. Right. Right. <laughs> you guys remember the, those? <laughs> yeah. Right. 
It was at least cordless, I think. Right, <laughs> right. You were the, somewhat up with I, the times. That's right. <laughs> put the uh, the phone back on the wall and just sat down on my couch. I was and I was just totally dejected and thought, "What am I going to do?" And one of my fraternity brothers walked in the room. I lived in a house with any at that time. There were forty four unsupervised college age dudes. Wow. Um, just living together in this house that was built in the, uh, I think the mid 18 or 19th century. So like right after the civil war, the house got built. So one of my buddies came walking in and he goes, you're all right, man. And I said, no, I'm not. And I told him what had happened. He goes, well, you're outdoors. you right. I go, yeah. He said, well, you want to teach water sports for the boy scouts? I said, hmm. I don't know the first thing about water sports, nor was I a boy scout <laughs> bill. And he said, he goes, that's cool. He said, we'll send you to like an intensive training. We'll teach you everything you need to know. You just need to know more than the kids. I said, all right, cool. So packed my bags after the semester ended and headed to the boondocks of right where New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York all come together, right? North of Delaware water gap and showed up. And I was working with the ranger crew, which was their maintenance staff. Hmm until they could send me to training. And me being the unskilled laborer, I got all the jobs that the tradesmen didn't want to do, like pulling dead mice out of toilets. And Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> so, that's about the lowest of right there. If you want a humbling experience, <laughs> that's probably at the very top of the list. Oh my but word. I did it. And I knew it was only for a couple of weeks. I had this light at the end of the tunnel that I was going to be, yeah, I was going to learn to drive a motorboat and sail and do all these things I wanted to. And right before I was supposed to head off to additional training, I was think I was scrubbing rust off of propane tanks and you know, another garden <laughs> garden spot job. And they came walking up and they're like, hey, you, you excited for training? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm super psyched. And they said, about that. I went, oh no. I'm like, my heart just sank. I'm like, I'm going to be- You're like seeing images of more mice and more yeah, toilets. Yeah, more mice. <laughs> and like, I can only imagine like, the biological load that would be coming with uh, <laughs> thousands of can you know, <laughs> oh my god, some Boy Scouts. I said, "All right," and he said, "Well, we the the maintenance crew are really impressed with your work ethic. You're welcome to stay on with them." And I thought, "Okay, well, again, I don't have a plan B." Right. And they said, "Or we're looking for a director of rock climbing. The guy who came back last year didn't come back because the water sports person had decided to come back. They're like, so." You can't go to training for that. And I thought, okay, well, anything's better than right. know, mice and toilets. Mice and toilets and rust off propane tanks that right. are missing. And I wondered if what their structural <laughs> can explode was. at any minute. <laughs> right. So I said, I don't care. I'll learn to rock climb. And so they sent me the training and it was pretty intense training. It was, like I said, about a week. And they were like 12 to 14 hour days. And they taught me everything I needed to know to, to have people rock climb. And this was your senior year. Yeah, this is right before. Yeah, right before like my senior year. And because I was actually delayed a little bit because I went, I did that internship okay. at Campbell Soup and took a semester off. So yeah, yeah I was right in that yeah. junior, senior time frame. My dad wanted me to work for like Boeing or something, get another internship. Yeah. I said, I'm going to have a job for the rest of my life. I'm going to go you know, play in the woods. Yeah. So how'd you yeah. get from the woods to NASA? So, this so seems like a NASA, very yeah. large so this, I'll, I'll bring it all back <laughs> together. So I... I was a director of rock climbing the whole summer. I ran a staff. I think we had like over seven, 800 people successfully rock climb. And that's mm. a pretty pass fail success criteria. Like did anyone die, you know, or right. fall off a cliff? Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So no one died. No one got Everyone hurt. had their Every, limbs. <laughs> everyone had a limb. Everything was where it was when they showed up. Right. And I put that on my resume when I graduated. That everyone had their limbs. 
Yeah, that I was a director of rock climbing for the And Boy no one Scouts. died. Yeah, no one died because I thought it showed responsibility. And I put in my resume to a company that makes a spacesuit for NASA as a joke. They sent like mm. a blast email to all graduating mechanical engineers and said, put your resume in, we'd like to interview you. And I put it in as a joke, you know, because I thought I'm like a 3.0 GPA, which is pretty good for engineering, but sure. again, not the smartest person in the room. Yeah. I thought that was for other people to do. That yeah. wasn't for someone like me to work for NASA. So they actually called me back for an interview and mm. I was inter- being interviewed to be a project manager, which is like schedules and budgets. And looking back on it, I dodged a bullet not getting that job. But when they got to the part of my resume about being a director of rock climbing, the director of engineering said, what is this about rock climbing? And I went through my spiel and he goes, hang on, someone just walked by my office. I want you to talk to. Mm. And again, here I am sitting on my cordless phone. Right, know? right. And it just went on mute. I thought, uh-oh. And this guy got on the phone who I hadn't heard before. He goes, what do you think about rock climbing on Mars? And this real gravelly, nasally <laughs> voice. And me being... The what do you think about stuff. rock climbing on Mars? I right. mean, said nobody ever. Right. Yeah. So I just very flippantly said, are you going to pay for the airfare? <laughs> and I went, oh my God, I just blew this interview by being a smart aleck. <laughs> Are you going to pay for the airfare? Yeah, this phantom <laughs> voice on the other end of the phone goes, get him down here for an interview. And that was the first time I talked to the guy who would eventually become my mentor. His name was Skip Wilson. And I went down for an interview and he and I hit it off like a ball of fire. And he said he ran all the test programs for the landing systems for the NASA Pathfinder and what mm. were to be the Mars Exploration Rovers. He was the guy who did all the testing on the landing systems. And that involved heading out into... Um, these very extensive test sites all across the country and sometimes the world. And he needed someone who had the book smarts of engineering, but also had some practical skills because mm-hmm. sometimes engineers aren't always known for their practical application sure. of all those book smarts. <clears throat> right. So when he saw rock climbing on a resume, he thought, here's someone I could actually, that might be able to understand the technical aspects, but I can send out into the field. Mm. And that's how I ended up at NASA because his background was he was a former special forces guy Mm. back to college and got his degree. And when he got out of the military, used the experience he had gathered testing things for the military and parlayed that into just another area of government service. Mm. So that's how my journey went from losing my dream internship at Disney to a few weeks later, pulling mice out of toilets, (laughs) just raising my hand and saying, I don't care. I'll learn to rock climb. I'll do that. Whatever. Yeah. And ended up traveling all over the world then for a decade and a half as a test engineer for NASA and various military projects. It's always fascinating to me because one of the most consistent themes that I hear over and over again is that these incredible experiences in life so often stem from what seems like at the time a very simple, not as engaging, not as important type of activity, whether it be rock climbing or being a janitor or (laughs) mice and toilets, like whatever it is, but it's so fascinating to see. It's like, if you take opportunities that are presented today, you never know how that will lead to what you're going to do tomorrow. So you're in NASA. I mean, we could just pause right there alone. What in your time there, can you think of one experience that if you could have told your younger self, like as a kid, Hey, by the way, in 15 years, in eight, whatever it is, here is what you are going to do. What story would have shocked you the most? 
My dream was always growing up was to go into the military. I mm. always wanted to be either a pilot or special forces. However, I have a congenital foot issue that precluded me from any type of military service. Mm. So what I would tell myself is because when I found out I was disqualified from military service in high school, and I went to try to go the ROTC and even enlist in the army route, I would have told myself, Hey, don't be discouraged because you're going to have opportunities to actually serve those who serve us. Because in addition to working on the space stuff we did, the company I worked for, we developed systems to keep air crews, the men and women that fly and crew the aircraft safe mm. in the event they ever, God forbid, came in contact with chemical or biological warfare agents. Mm. We developed systems to protect them so they could still do their full mission profiles and come home safely. Mm. So I would tell myself whenever I found out I was precluded from military service, you will have opportunities to still be able to serve your country. It's just not going to be in the ways that you thought. Hmm. I love that. What is what is one memory that sticks out to you maybe as the most exhilarating? Maybe it isn't the most exhilarating, but is there one? I mean, you have so many crazy stories from your time in NASA, but yeah. can you share one memory in particular that sticks out in your mind that you maybe would or would not want to do again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would definitely do this again, but a memory that sticks in my mind involves, I think it was like, 30 to 40 hours of air travel, getting into full Arctic gear while it was 85 degrees out, sitting on a runway to be loaded onto a uh, military transport plane in New Zealand, and then hmm. sitting in this tin can with a giant tank of liquid oxygen in front of me for about six hours. And when the cargo doors opened, once my eyes adjusted, being able to see Antarctica for the first time, hmm. that's definitely a core memory for hmm. me. And what were you doing? I'm trying to picture in what scenario would right. you need? Would all those things be aligning to create right. this story? So the company I worked for, like I said, to make the spacesuit for NASA. So their specialty is anything with real high-tech fabrics hmm. and figuring out different ways to utilize fabrics in ways that have never been done before. And I was in Antarctica working on a joint project between NASA and the National Science Foundation, where the company I worked for developed a inflatable building, essentially, hmm. that the science crews in Antarctica could chopper out to whatever remote work site they had. Just because you're in Antarctica, there's even places more remote on Antarctica that they'll have to fly out to. And hmm. it used to involve sending teams of carpenters out to build and erect these structures out in the hmm. field and that's time and money and resources are very Materials, short. You yeah. Yeah. You can't just run to Home Depot if you forget your drywall screws down in Antarctica. Mm. So the company I worked for developed a inflatable building that they could chopper out, kick it out of the helicopter or cargo plane. It would land on the ground, the advanced team lands, fires up the generator and inflates the building. Hmm. And NASA was looking for the same technology to use because you could fold it up super small. Hmm they were looking for the same technology to use for planetary exploration or lunar exploration. Huh. So we built this, our team went down and deployed it in, I think, January of 2008. And I went down in December of 2008 to do an inspection after the Antarctic winter, because it's mm. obviously very cold down there. The soil is all, um, it's very much like Mars and the moon because it's crushed up volcanic rock. 
which is super nasty to Hmm. any kind of equipment, which, so I was down there to do an inspection of our stuff. That's how I found myself literally halfway around the world at the bottom of the earth. That's amazing. So basically trying to create these inflatable working environments for Mars and wow. Yeah. Yeah. Planetary analog, I think was the fancy word they use. (laughs) We wanted to see how much of a beating it could take. (laughs) That, I mean, it's so crazy to me, just what I love hearing stories like this, because there's so many things happening in parts of the world that you just, the pieces that all need to come. It's like a movie. There's, Mm -hmm. you watch the credits and there's 5 million people in the tiniest little letters. And you think, the role that all of these people played to putting on this one production. And it's like that in so many fields mm-hmm. and NASA being one of those, there's so in the credits of NASA, there's just so many people right. that are playing roles in creating one trip or one landing that you just don't think about. Oh, it's yeah. so fascinating. That's amazing. And my uncle was a West Point graduate. He's one of the, I think he might be the only other engineer in our family. I remember when I was talking to him growing up and saying, you know, I want to be a pilot or special forces. He said, well, why? And I said, because it'd be pretty cool to like go streaking through the air. Yeah. Because it's also pretty cool to see something you worked on go streaking through the air, John. I went, oh, okay. Hmm. But what he said to me in that conversation, I was probably in eighth grade at that point, that really stuck with me was he said, if you go into that field or whatever you do, don't make it more complicated than it has to be. So you hear all these fantastical things about NASA and obviously there's a big long credit list of people that yeah. make it happen. At the end of the day, if, if you can distill things down to a very simple formula, it really makes sense of the world, whether it be emotional or you know, in mm. the, the space of physics. For instance, he's the example of a fighter jet. Mm. He said, you know, fighter jet, there's hundreds of thousands of moving parts and all this stuff. He said, it operates on the same principle as a door wedge, John. He said, it, mm. it's shaped like this. And there's a force applied to the back and it just pushes through stuff, just like a door Mm. wedge. So every time I would find myself falling down some rabbit hole and making things more complex, I think, think of the door wedge wedge. (laughs) that Uncle George told you. Door wedge. wedge. Yeah, door wedge. I love that. Make it more complicated than it has to be. Says the mechanical engineer working for NASA. (laughs) Right. Don't make, oh, if there's one thing I specialize in, I can make things way more complex than they need to be. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. The door wedge. So that's going to be the new... Just think of the door wedge. So during these years, I mean, again, kind of talking about that idea of growth and kind of never knowing what the next step holds, you also experienced some personal difficulties in this. You had professional growth and journey as well. But tell me a little bit about the personal challenges and journey that you also went through in this time that kind of created a pivot point for you. Yeah. So the job was a perfect fit for who I was at the time when I graduated college and even for years after, because the job gave me a lot of accolades that I could put up on the wall from mission certificates I and just various things. And I would never believe them. I'd be up on stage getting some commendation letter from the Department of Defense. And I would just think, oh my God, someone's going to find out I don't deserve to be here. Mm. and came later to find out after I started really digging into myself that that imposter syndrome, I I never believed the data that I had, you know, to speak in engineering terms. I had all these missions under that I led or teams that I participated on, and I just never believed that I was worthy of it. 
So the job really helped, even though I didn't believe those accolades, it was nice to continually receive them and these kind of attaboys and and prove to, I don't even know who I was trying to prove to that I was worthy. And I would always take on the toughest projects, the toughest missions. And again, with this kind of desire to prove that I was worthy and what eventually happened was I built up this veneer of perfection. And if I ever felt that that veneer perfection was being challenged or maybe I looked foolish, because one thing I definitely hated doing and would pretty much refuse to do is say, I don't know. Mm. I didn't want to appear less than perfect, less than than some like Superman. And the way I would cope with that is I would be very, very sharp-tongued to people, very Mm. sarcastic. If I felt like I was being threatened, like my reputation, I would mm. immediately say something very cruel or very just kind of nasty. Yeah. I was, I was a jerk. Mm. You know, and I later came to find out that that was because I didn't feel confident with myself. And even though after I would say something, you know, you feel good in that like split second, but then the demons come to call at night and you kind of play back the day. You think, man, those mm. people must not like me. Mm. And I've wrestled with anxiety for much of my life and as does nearly 50% of America. So if truth be told, I imagine it's much higher than that. Yes. Well, correct. Exactly. I mean, clinical diagnoses are not the same as right. Yes. Yeah. So I had anxiety my life. I, and then couple with this Superman syndrome I had and imposter syndrome and sharp tongue. I'd just find anxiety coming in waves. Mm. And then when our first child was born, a few weeks after she was born, I was left home alone with her for the first time and she wouldn't take a bottle. And that pretty much caused me to have like a huge panic attack and Mm. me, you know, and a lot of anxiety because that voice in my back of my head said, see, John, you really can't take care of the ones you love. You will fail everyone. Mm. And here's my daughter in like premature baby clothes, like having me like unravel. So that was the first thing that happened in 2008. And then a few months later, my best childhood friend, Nathan, we lost him to suicide. I'll never forget getting the call from our mutual friend that he had intentionally overdosed. And he and I had parted ways. I knew he was struggling. I was struggling myself at the time and tried reaching out to him a few times. And he was just, we never reconnected after yeah. we separated paths. And when Nathan died, I didn't know how to handle that. I just was able to like show up and go to work, but I'm sure I was operating at far less capacity and probably should have take, sat down on the bench and taken a time out because some of the things we did were potentially very dangerous, but I just right. kept pushing through. And I remember a few months after Nathan died, just getting ready for work. I thought, I can't live like this. Like I can't, like I'm not a functioning human. Like I'm just mm. kind of operating on some like basic primal thing where like, I'm just next step, next step, next step. And I mentioned earlier that I went to Catholic high school and given my rebellious nature growing up, uh, coupled with some things that I observed during school, I actively actually pushed God away Mm. after high school. I felt that anyone who needed God or would rely on something so foolish as that mm. is just weak and dumb. And that's how I operated from high school up until this point. And I just remember just standing in the bathroom, house was empty, it was silent. 
And I just said the strength, courage, and wisdom prayer. I don't know why, but at that moment of like utter brokenness, I physically felt like a warm sensation come over mm. me. And I thought I've either just lost my mind for real <laughs> or mm-hmm. maybe, maybe God's real. Mm. So that day in the summer of 2009, a few, few months after Nathan's passing is where I just welcomed Jesus into my life mm. and didn't really understand what that meant. Mm. But at that moment, like my heart was started changing, you know, mm. we're just coming out of the Christmas season here. It's uh, the Grinch, you know, at the mm. end of the story, you know, when his heart grows, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's really how I felt and began mm. this journey of just being kinder and gentler to other people and also mm. learning to be kinder and gentler to myself. Mm. So from then on, you know, I, I really worked on, <laughs> there were a lot of apologies to people in my immediate circle, even going back to like reaching out to people in like grade school. I think a guy mm. named Zach has the record for <laughs> the longest time period I went back to apologize for something. <laughs> and he said, I like, I reached out to him through Facebook. He's like, dude, I don't even remember that. He's like, but kudos for you, you know, good luck on your journey. <laughs> so, That's hilarious. Good yeah. for you though. Yeah so, yeah. so yeah. So my heart really just changed to just be kinder and more gentle over those years, the company I worked for, this job that I had loved and was such a dream job for me, the company changed how they operated. Yeah. And the job was no longer serving me. I no longer felt like I was doing as the kind of work that I was called to do. I felt like right. I was being called to do something different. But right. by this point, now my wife and I had three children and what kind of responsible father leaves a, a high paying job just because right. I'm happy. Right. So I went and got another job where I made even more money and they'd fly me around to fly me to Asia in first class and mm. I'd go to these meetings and you know, had a very high level position. Mm. And Anna, I've never been more unsatisfied in my mm. life as I was during the nine months I lasted at that mm. job. I'll never forget it was a day like it is here where I'm at in Delaware, you know, just kind of gray. It's like 35 mm. degrees, there's rain. I remember walking into this new job I had after I left the NASA job and like water's like going down the back of my coat. <laughs> I can just remember walking to the door and just thinking, thank God I'm being paid so much money to be this miserable. To be miserable. <laughs> and when I said that to myself, like I remember going into the building, but I don't remember the walk back to my shared yeah. office in the back just because my mind was reeling to actually kind of hear those words mm-hmm. out loud. Mm-hmm. I thought, what would I tell my friends or my children if they mm. came to me and said they were this miserable? Mm. And what kind of example am I setting for my kids? Yeah. So that started the conversation with my wife, who I was really nervous to say, you know, I'd love to do photography full time. Right. Because <laughs> I thought she was going to say, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Because where I'm like flying off to Antarctica and doing all these things, like my wife is very much like, whoa, hang on. We need to plan this out. Like, let's yeah. not do anything too crazy here. Right. So right. When I said to her, I was like, I'm not happy. I thought she was going to be like, no way, bucko. Like we got to figure something else out. Yeah. Yeah. And her words were, thank God. Hmm. She said, you need to get out of that job and go do your photography full time. And hmm. if it doesn't work out, we'll figure something else out. So hmm. I totally give her the credit for giving me hmm. the uh, kick in the keister. <laughs> yeah. To actually yeah. take the leap, which was almost five years ago in April wow. of 2017. 
Wow. It's there. I mean, I just love this. There's so much about this that, first of all, I didn't know. And I resonate with even going back to when you were talking about that supernatural experience that you had. I did not know that part of your story. And what is so amazing is I resonate with that. I have been there. I have had probably two of those moments in my life. And what's amazing about it is it's like, you know it's supernatural because there's this change that you cannot explain for any other reason. It is nothing else in your entire life has been able to give you the transformation, whether it be mentally or emotionally, not to mention just the experience that you have. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. And Jesus specifically being the one who has certainly been life-changing for me as well. But what I love about that is I think so often we have this idea that when you have a moment like that, suddenly everything will line up. But what your story is also speaking to that I've seen in my life as well is that it takes intentional steps after that to grow and to recognize the areas that whether it was apologizing to people or taking a next step. So thank you for sharing that part of your story. And then two... The job experience I can also resonate with because I was a nurse practitioner for seven years. I worked in medicine for 15 years and I am now a blogger and a podcaster. So to your point as well, I remember having the thought walking into the ER and this was even before COVID. Mm -hmm. People didn't realize we were exhausted in emergency medicine even before COVID hit. (laughs) So, But I resonate with that too because I remember thinking like, at least I make a lot of money an hour. But it's to your point, I got to the point where I was like, I just, there's something about not being satisfied in what you're doing that it just might not be worth the stability and the money. Yeah. There's a, um, one of my favorite rock bands. I'm a, I'm a huge music fan. As you could probably Mm. guess, there's a guitar behind me. Um, (laughs) I love it. But there's a band called the struts and they're from the UK and they have this song called could have been me. Mm. And the whole song is, you should link it in the show notes. I'll send you a link to YouTube. Okay. Say it one more time for my producer. What is it? Could have been me. Could have been me by the struts. The struts. Okay. We'll include that in the show notes. Yeah. You want the lyric video because the whole song just talks about never want to look back on your life and say, you know what? I think that could have been me had I just taken the chance Mm. Mm. because I said, I don't want to be sitting there when I'm old and gray doing a crossword with my wife on a patio somewhere. Right. Saying, you know, I think I could have made a go at being a photographer and, yeah. and having this different life. Yeah. So yeah. No. Well, and it's seasons. I think that's something yeah. that I've learned is I don't regret at all the years that I spent getting my master's. I have two master's degrees. You know, I have so many years of experience and education in medicine. And I don't regret any of that because I see how it serves where I'm at now and the people that I can serve now in an even more impactful way. So it's like, I don't regret where I was, but I try to use that in such a way moving forward. So it's like what you're saying, that second job after NASA, maybe you never would have been miserable enough to take the step to pursue your dreams if you hadn't been there. So it's like you use it all. It all gets used. (laughs) Yeah, It certainly does. Whenever people hear that I used to be an engineer, especially working on the space program, they're like, well, that's a huge leap being a, a portrait photographer. Right. I say, well, of course I understand why you say that. I said, but number one, I said, I can totally nerd out on photography stuff. There's more than enough gear 
and physics right. involved that I can get my belly fill of, of nerd talk. Right. <laughs> I said, but also my specific job was they would send our group out. Like I said, like I was in Antarctica testing mm-hmm. something. So they would send us out anywhere in the world to either test our products, evaluate stuff, load it, be the last person to touch it before it gets loaded onto a spaceship. And they dropped me off in like the Mojave Desert at some military base and say, all right, mm. when you get the test off in a few days, find the people to talk to to make sure we can get the explosives on site mm. easily. <laughs> mm. So I became very- No big deal. At, We're just getting right. explosives on site. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I became very adept at developing rapports with people like right. super quick, right? which translates phenomenally well into portrait photography, which is what I focus on now. Yes being able to put people at ease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas before I was cutting through layers upon layers of government red tape. Right. Now I'm cutting through layers and layers mm-hmm. of personal. Like self-image. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I always joke that I have one of the few jobs where people that are paying me straight up tell me they hate my service whenever they show up. <laughs> so many people. <laughs> That's so hilarious. Many, so many people show up and say, just so you know, I hate having my picture taken. I hate how I look in pictures. That's so funny. So I'm able to break down those walls yeah. and have them feel comfortable before I even shoot a frame of, I always say film because I want to shoot on film, but yeah. um, before I take a single picture, you know, yeah. I can I have, have that conversation. Feel I, yeah. And then afterwards, you know, after we're talking about things and they say, oh my God, I never realized I looked like that. I'm like, well, no, that's actually you. That's how everyone sees you. I just yeah. push the button. I say, just so you know, I said, so do you not hate how you look in pictures? They're like, well, no, I really like these. I say, just so you know, you coming in and saying, I hate having my picture taken. Yeah. is like you showing up at like a restaurant. And <laughs> Before the chef you comes sit out. down. Yeah. And the chef comes out and you say, hey, chef, just so you know, excuse me, Gordon Ramsay, yeah. I hate eating. I hate right. food. <laughs> but here's some money. But give me your best dish. I'll right. pay for it. Give me your best yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, that's so uh, I love that. We're going to take a quick break, but we come back. Stay tuned for a speed round of this or that with John. And we're going to dive into portrait photography. What makes his photos so unique and his expert advice on photographing right after we come back? You have tried it all. Worried you will never lose the extra weight or reclaim the energy you once enjoyed? Want to achieve fat loss without spending hours in a gym or eliminating entire food groups from your diet? Well, now you can. In the virtual Faster Way to Fat Loss with Anna, my six-week fitness and nutrition program, you will learn how to pair effective 30-minute workouts with all-natural evidence-based nutritional strategies to leverage what you eat and when you eat to reset your metabolism and burn fat fast, even that stubborn belly fat. I am a dual certified nurse practitioner passionate about teaching sustainable strategies to promote fat loss and prevent disease. I have cheered on thousands of clients who have done just that with the Faster Way program. In my six-week program, the average client currently sheds seven inches of body fat. 93% report more energy and 89% state that their mental health has improved. 100% of clients report they feel this program is sustainable. Curious to try the program, but not sure if the strategies will work for you. 
Try the Faster Way strategies for free. Head to www.hammersandhugs.com and sign up for my free seven-day fat loss accelerator course today and start your own transformation story. All right. We are back for a round of this or that with John Melora. Okay. John is very simple. You get two options. You pick one or the other. Okay. All right. Canon or Nikon? Nikon. The Martian or Rocket Man? Wow. I'm impressed that you know both of those. Well, I'm a huge music fan, so I'm going to have to say Rocket Man. Agreed. Love me some Elton. (laughs) DC or Marvel? Marvel. Shoot in a studio or outside? Studio. Cat or dog? I tell my dog to hold her ears, but maybe cat. (laughs) (laughs) Watch yourself. I know. I think she's outside. I think I'm clear. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Antarctica or the desert? Ooh, the desert. Fun fact though, Antarctica is technically a desert. Really? It is actually a desert because what defines a desert is not temperature. It's the amount of precipitation it gets. Interesting. Antarctica, Antarctica gets so little precipitation actually qualifies as a desert. It just doesn't melt. That's why. Fascinating. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. So I could say desert and be in the clear for both. For both. <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> He's an engineer, guys. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Hashtag nerd into. alert. <laughs> nerd alert. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Water skiing or scuba diving? Scuba diving. All right. Last one. Football or basketball? Or rock climbing. I guess we could throw that in there too. <laughs> I'm a nice hockey player. So football probably. You're an ice hockey player. Yeah. I grew up playing ice Interesting. hockey. Interesting. Yeah. The town where I grew up, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, is where they filmed the old Paul Newman hockey movie called Slapshot. Huh. Yeah. So one of my coaches was actually one of the main characters in it. So it was... Interesting. I mean, Pennsylvania is not like that's where we are. I can't say ice hockey is huge. So it's interesting that ice hockey is kind of what you grew up. Yeah. Western PA, it's really big. Is it? Okay. Well, that's fair. Okay. Interesting. Well, we've moved everywhere from NASA to mice to toilets to (laughs) rock climbing. I love it. This is the way that we roll here. So let's get into portrait photography. I love your links and everything are going to be included on the show notes. I really love the portraits that you take. Tell me a little bit about portrait photography. What makes you excited about doing it. It's a creative aspect. And what's fun, and again, I resonate with this, is even though, again, like I would have been like you, you know, I was in medicine for 15 years, two masters, worked in the ER for a lot of that. And now I get to explore the creative side, which I love with blogging and everything here. Tell me, what is it that you love so much about portrait photography and what makes yours so unique? What I've always loved about photography is showing something from a point of view that's not normally seen. Mm -hmm. When I started photography, I mean, I got my first camera when I was, I think, seven or eight for my birthday. Mm -hmm. So this is like Mm -hmm. mid-80s. I got my little Kodak camera. You had your cordless phone in one hand. I don't even think we had cordless phones at that time. It was like the big <laughs> loop that was like on the kitchen yep. wall. I yep. My parents were hip, so they'd upgraded their avocado green one to like the cream colored of the 80s. Oh, um, hipper than but, mine. Yeah. <laughs> but when I started photography, I said I would... One thing I said I'd never do is own a photography business and do that full time. So liar. Second mm-hmm. thing I said I would definitely never do after I got my photography business was photograph people. Hmm. Because... And looking back on it, it all makes perfect sense. 
I didn't have the confidence to direct someone and have something not work out with a client Mm. is in front of me. If I'm taking a picture of the ocean or a mountain, no one's judging me. I can move my shot. The ocean doesn't speak back. (laughs) Right. Whereas with portrait photography, you're directing people and it just might not work out. It might not, that creative vision in your head might not execute as you thought. So yeah, I never thought I would photograph people Mm. until I started doing events and realized I had a knack for it. Mm. And what I have a knack for is preemptively seeing an emotion someone's going to have. And that all actually stems back to remember, you know, at the beginning part of the interview when I was talking about, I was, whenever I'd feel threatened, I would snap back at like a hurtful comment to someone to shut them down. I came to realize that that wasn't a good use of a quote unquote superpower. It's because I can read people's emotions very well. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would be able to unfortunately wound people back in the day because mm-hmm. I would be able to very quickly see what makes them tick. Well, the same thing, I feel like some superhero who, who flips yeah. the script yeah. is I'm able to see people's emotions and mm-hmm. almost see them before they see them show yeah. up. So when I'd photograph these events, I would capture these like very natural, very captivating informal portraits or lifestyle shots of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I saw how good that made people feel, I started dipping my toes into the water of portrait photography a little bit more. And also it was my self-esteem was increasing at the time. Mm. So I didn't feel so bad if I look at my camera and say, oh, nope, that didn't work. All right, let's try something else. Yeah. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that to say yeah. oh, that didn't work. So the creative aspect of portrait photography and the reason why my mind's it doesn't look like something from like a JC Penny on like plain white background is not everyone has that personality. Mm-hmm. You know, I like working mm-hmm. with people that have a little bit edgier or avant-garde mm-hmm. or just really want to see themselves differently. I work mm-hmm. with a lot of people who have come through like a major life transition and either explicitly or maybe subliminally want to see themselves different Hmm. because they they have changed. And I Mm -hmm. get that because I've walked that path. So whenever I do portraits, if you look at my work, it's very dramatically or at least not like a quote, normal photo shoot. Mm -hmm. That's how Mm -hmm. I really approach everything. And the tagline for my business is uncovering incredible. Mm. Mike, the guy who helped me develop my logo Mm -hmm. and that slogan years ago, when I was just getting started said, you know, what do you want? He said, what do you want people to think about or feel whenever they look at your stuff. I said, I want people to look at my photos and say, oh my God, how did he see that? And I want Mm. to say, it's because there's something incredible in whatever I'm photographing, especially Mm. people. And it's my my task to uncover that and show the rest of the world of what might be below the surface in someone. Mm. I love that. Photography was something that I really paid very little attention to. I was terrible at taking photographs. And then of course, once I became a blogger, it's a huge part of what what we do. And oh my word, my photography was terrible. Oh my (laughs) gosh, so bad. I remember the point when I had family come up to me and say, your photographs have gotten so much better. Oh my gosh. And one of the things that I learned, so again, what I'm taking photographs of might be a little different. Well, they are very different than what you're doing. One of the tips that I learned is you want to get rid of the yellow toned lighting, use natural light. Like I did a lot of home photos. And Mm -hmm. so everything was like yellow toned and 
So I had to learn a lot of tips for what I was doing. What are some of your best just photographing tips in general for those of us that are not photographers? <laughs> yeah. So it's so nice to have cell phones in our pockets. I mean, they do such right. a phenomenal job as long as they have the necessary light that they need. One of the best things that I tell my students is whether you're shooting through a cell phone or through a $10,000 Nikon or Canon is turn on the grid system. There's hmm. what they call the rule of threes where the way your mind processes images is it almost looks like there's a, well, I guess hashtag is the appropriate thing to say. Whenever you look at something, there's two vertical lines and then two horizontal lines. Mm -hmm. And on phones, they call it, I think the three by three grid. You can go in there and you just Google it, whatever iPhone or Android. So you turn on three by three grid mm. and this little grid will pop up whenever your camera launches. And our eyes naturally go to the intersection points mm. of the hashtag Fascinating. or anywhere on one of the vertical lines or horizontal lines. So if you look at a magazine or watch anything on TV, whatever they want you to pay attention to in an advertisement is going to be most likely one of those intersection points. Hmm. So that's I was very fascinating. And that's a that setting up. on your phone. <laughs> yeah. I did yeah. not know that. That's called a three by three grid. So Ooh, if there's something you, yeah, if there's something you want to like really highlight and obviously dead center, like that's a no brainer. Right. But if you look at things, a lot of times I'll position it right on one of the lines. On the lines. To go there. Yeah. Interesting. The cross section. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And there's all different aspects of psychology that go into it. So if it's a picture mm. of a person, they'll likely be on the far left. So they're looking off. Whereas if I did a photo shoot, marketing photo shoot for a, um, a ferry that like operates around here on the water. Oh, a I was thinking yeah, like yeah. Not, the not floating like, not fairies. Not like Tinkerbell, like, <laughs> like load your car on. Interesting and get to the photo shoot. We're back to Disney. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I wanted to show like an expansive thing. So I put the people hmm. on the other side so you can just see this big sweeping water panorama mm -hmm. and then it leads you right to the people. Hmm. So there's so much. So psychology. people are often on the left is what you're saying. A lot of times, like if it's a portrait, <laughs> like if you open up, you know, and look at like a L'Oreal ad, hmm. you know, the model's likely probably on the left-hand side and looking the other way. Interesting. Whereas if they would be like in Israel, they would likely be on the other side because... English readers start at the left and go to left the right. to right. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. people that, that read Hebrew start at the right and go to the left. That so is really all these, interesting. These little nuances. Yeah. Yeah. That go into That is it. fascinating. Yeah. Do you travel? So if people are interested in your <clears throat> services, do you travel or are you primarily shooting people locally? We can just pause right there. Even though I've been doing this so many years saying that I shoot people, I'm sure I'm on some kind of watch list. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm either, you know, I, I shoot That's... people, I contract for headshots. You know, it's like, <laughs> you got kids? Yeah, I'll shoot your kids. <laughs> you think we're talking about photography, right, but yeah. really, right. yeah. yeah. That's sure so funny. My podcast is going to be flagged. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's now, so funny. I travel. I've, I always had my camera with me and they'd send me all over the earth. So that's how I really... Yeah. Build up my photography skills, like in Antarctica, like I had my camera down there, so... Yeah. If people are interested. I certainly travel. Obviously, you know, given the current climate, it might be a little <laughs> right, complicated. Right. But but that's still good to know yeah. though, because I mean this podcast will obviously live forever. So for people right. interested, and again, we'll have all of his links at the end. But John does travel. Well, I might have to check out 
I want to see the creative things that you would do for me because I'm very vanilla. As you can see, my photos are all, all white in the back. Yeah, but I was actually going to compliment you and say that's so on brand with I mean, oh, thank you. even the color of your chair and I mean, my God, uh, your, your tissue box is even on brands. So. <laughs> I'm a little OCD. So that's, yes, that's, everything matches. Well, no, all those things play into it. Like when I yeah. do a, um, a commercial shooter, <laughs> like a personal branding shoot, like yours, like with the nail gun and stuff, like that was brilliant. I was like, that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I always. I have to tell that. you though, that experience was, I did a whole blog post on it because it was oh, hilarious. Yeah? I am not a model. Kudos to models. It sounds incredibly stressful. And the thing that killed me the most is it was my first ever like true like photo shoot. And it was my hands. It? Yeah. it was my hands. I was like, what on earth am I supposed to do Yo, with my shit. hands? Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, like what Ricky do you do Bobby? with them? They're so awkward. <laughs> like I could not figure out what to do with my hands and not look absolutely ridiculous. So it's funny. There's so many little things that I think when we don't like getting our picture taken, it's because we look at it and we're like, Hmm, I didn't even think about that body part. Like yeah. what is happening there? You know, yeah, so, bless yeah. my heart. <laughs> That's something that I really guide people yes. to do. I actually wrote a whole thing on my newsletter on what to do with your hands in a photo shoot. And I Did had you? Of, of Ricky um, Bobby from Talladega Nights. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the header on it. But yeah, uh, hands are one of those things. I can give your listeners a quick tip. So, Oh, please. Yeah. yeah. So you never really want to look at a camera like straight on. You know, unless you're a linebacker for the NFL and you want to show look how, intimidating, yeah. yeah, look intimidating, but you always want to usually angle your body mm. and with your hands, if you need somewhere to go, you, a lot of times you can just hook your thumb in, a, in your pocket. Mm -hmm. If you have that or you just lay it, imagine big core of your listeners are female, mm -hmm. just rest it gently on like the top of your thigh mm -hmm. or put it around someone Yeah, in a group shot because it always looks better if everyone's actually touching. Instead of yeah. like separate it out. Yeah. I could have used those. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I spent half the time figuring out what on earth to do with my hands. Yeah. 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 We'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. Not to mention, well, I, I will tell you what to do with your hands. If you and I ever work, John will tell you what to do with your hands. Yeah. I love that aspect of trying to help people see how other people see them. I think that's a beautiful concept of photography, especially in the filtered world that we live in, where you can put all of these crazy filters to make you look yeah. nothing like you actually look in real yeah. life. And the idea of creating a more organic kind of raw photo, I think is really a beautiful concept. Do you have a favorite photo you've ever taken? Ooh. Whether there a person or a place or whatever. Yeah, I have a couple for different reasons, but probably one of the shoots that sticks out the most in my mind really plays off of what you just said. My friend Molly was trying to be on the cover of Inked Magazine. She has like, I don't even know how many tattoos she has. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> she probably doesn't know how many she has. And I never forget, we were doing the shoot for her contest entry. And I think this was one of, might've been the first time or one of the first times she's ever in like a studio. And when I do my studio portraits, the images pop up on a screen. So as I'm shooting them, they pop up completely unedited. Mm. And I took these photos of her and she was just killing it all day, like look phenomenal. And she kind of peeked around the light and went, <gasps> I went, what's wrong? She goes, <laughs> I look so pretty. I said, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She goes, you made me look so pretty. I go, 
I said, that's you. I said, there's no editing. I said, that's how the rest right. of the world truly sees you. Yeah. So yeah. So that sheet I did with her was probably one of my favorite. I love you, that. You see her sprinkled like throughout my portfolio because her and I have done like numerous things together since that point. That's awesome. I love that. If we could like summarize your journey, whether it be professional and personal, and I love the points are all over. Like it seems like when you hear a story like that, they're all over the map. Mine would be similar, but really there's this consistent through line. It's like it makes complete sense. And hindsight mm-hmm. vision is always 2020. Yeah. But as you look back on your journey in your personal and professional success, if you could sum it up, what the secret is in one word to overcoming those challenges and experiencing success in one word or one phrase, what would it be? Go for it. Because mm-hmm. Nike has just do it trademark. So go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Darn Nike. Yeah. How dare Seriously. they? Yeah. Yeah. Just go for it. Mm. Just go for it. Because like I mentioned that song, you don't want to look back and say that could have been me because even if it doesn't turn out like you thought, if you go for something, which I can pretty much guarantee you hundred percent, it's not going to turn out like you thought it was going to, like I right. would have thought I'd be a portrait photographer when I left yeah. the corporate world five years ago. If you go for it, you're going to learn so much about yourself and really learn how best to serve other people. And I think that's probably the true secret is figuring out how to do whatever it is that you do best in the service mm-hmm. of others. Right. Because right. Rory Vaden's a, well, through BBG, you know, yeah. I love when he says you're best situated to serve the person you used to be. And, right. that, and that's so true. Yeah. Your website is www.melorafoto. So that's M O L L U R A P H O T O.com, melorafoto.com for those of you listening. And you also offer one on one photography coaching. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I also have that link as well. We will make sure that's on the show notes. There's an opportunity for you to subscribe and to learn more about the coaching opportunities, learning how... Are you specifically coaching portrait photography or just photography in general? So the coaching I do is something I'm just getting started into. It's more for mm-hmm. people that are looking to make a change. Mm-hmm. And we know how beneficial it is to have a tribe around you to, yes. to help you facilitate that. Mm-hmm. So that's what the coaching is. I mean, I do private instruction too for photography. So if I got gotcha. you. learn what that three by three grid is, Yes. Witchcraft that I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I do, or I teach everything from beginners to advanced. And through the miracles mm-hmm. of technology, we can do that obviously remotely. Love that. So there's also a link that we will include on the show notes as well, where you can subscribe to John's website and get all of that information and all of the different services that he offers. John, you don't live that far from me. I may need to hire you for my next shoot. So you can tell me what the world to do with my hands. (laughs) (laughs) No more Ricky Bobby photo shoots for you. (laughs) No more Ricky Bobby. Although please, you know, it's the ridiculous ones that end up being the ones that you love, I guess. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. The outtakes are always the, (laughs) I have some, some. I was in this studio. I was at one point on a ladder with a Brad nailer, with a hammer, wearing a tool belt, holding a spatula in high heels and my lab coat. Like I had everything going on and they were like, I have to ask, what is this shoot for? (laughs) Like story of my life. 
That's I'm a right. little bit of a lot. Yeah. And kindred spirits. I'm glad we came across each other. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Well, we will definitely need to connect more. John, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. I pray God's richest blessings over your home, over your career. And we will definitely have to chat again. All right, Anna. Thanks so much for your time. Take care. See you, John. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. It is my honor to be here with you. I am so grateful for each and every one of you. If you are watching on YouTube, be sure to click the subscribe button below so you don't miss a show and leave a comment with your thoughts from today's episode below. If you are listening via your preferred podcasting platform, would you help keep us on the air by rating our show and leaving an honest review of your thoughts from today? In case you haven't heard it lately, your story matters and you are loved. This is your host, Anna Fulmer, and I will see you here next time on the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast.